Exodus. Exodus chapter 33. We have a very special guest this morning, Cheryl Bolton, uh, who went to Bible college. And I went to Bible college in 1985, so you must have been there around 1985. Cheryl Bolton, uh, it was Bible Temple, then City Bible Church, where my wife and I met, where Pastor Laura and I met. My wife actually, when she was 12 years of age, she was willed, her mother died, and her mother willed her to the church, her and her two sisters. And uh, I met my wife at uh, Bible Temple, which is now City Bible Church, and um, Cheryl, Cheryl Bolton, uh, was a Bible college student there, and then she went on, to, uh, on staff. She actually was the secretary, administrative assistant for the senior pastor, and we just want to, wel- she's actually living here in Orlando now. We want to welcome Cheryl Bolton to the City Church this morning. Come on, let's give her a great big hand. God bless you, Cheryl. Thank you for being with us. Well, she's known us a long time, right? A long time, a couple of years anyway. So it's been a great day already today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 33. And I need my, can you have me my Bible right down there? Is there somebody? I'm Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to read the first three verses of Exodus chapter uh, 33. When you get there, say, I got it. This is the third time we've done this today, and it just, it's getting warmed up. You're getting, you're getting the best. We saved, Jesus saved the best wine for last. Come on, this is the best service for last. Amen? Amen. We've been speaking on prayer for the last three weeks. Three weeks ago, we introduced this series. We, we talked about the pattern prayer. The disciples, Jesus' followers, his 12, came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples taught them to pray. And then Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. He gave us a pattern prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we went through the pattern prayer. We talked about it, but we didn't just talk about it. We actually practiced the pattern prayer. And then I understand Pastor Glenn and the youth uh, service in White Open on Wednesday night did the same thing. And he said they couldn't get off the second point. By the time you just praise and you give God thanksgiving and you start praying for other people, I mean, there's hardly any time left to pray for anything else. And uh, so we, we, we talked about the pattern prayer, the power of daily communion and fellowship with God. And then last week I talked about when God says no. When God says no. About the story of Abraham and how Abraham interceded and prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. And God told him no. But God's no and only God's no can turn into a yes. And we talked about how God turned his no into a yes. Because God eventually said yes, Jesus Christ came into the world. Amazing story. Get the tape. If you didn't hear it last week, you got to get it. It's one of the best preaching I've ever done in my life. you got to get it. It was good. Preach to myself. And then this morning, this morning, I'm speaking on a message entitled, Help, I Need Somebody. Everyone say that with me. Help, I Need Somebody. All right. Exodus chapter 33, let's read verse number one. And the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Who said? Oh, come on, here. Who said? The Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Depart from here. I mean, Moses, if you, if you read the story in context, you'll, you'll see Moses is having a FaceTime with God. He's having literal FaceTime with God. He's spending time with God himself, 40 days. You can read all the Bible and all of human history. There's never been a man who had, on this planet, on this earth, had the kind of fellowship that Moses had with God. No other, other than Jesus Christ, who's God himself. Moses had FaceTime with God, 40 days. And in that 40 days, man, his world was ruined. He was wrecked. 
And he comes down from the mountain, and he comes back to the children. You've got to hear this. He comes back to the children of Israel. And the Lord says, the Lord said to him, the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. There was a land, a place, a place that God had for them. Verse number two. And I will send my angel. One translation says, I will send my messenger before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Yeah, let's just say those together just for fun. Can we do that? He's going to drive. Let's just try it. I'm going to drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite and all the ites. I'm going to drive them out before you. Now, this is the verse I want you to get. Underline this in your Bible. Verse number three. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you're a bunch of stiff-necked people. There you go. That's God for you. Just make it plain. Right? God says, I got a blessing for you, but you bunch of stiff-necked people aren't listening. Listen up. I want you to skip over to verse number 12. Then Moses, see, this is what I want you to see about prayer this morning. Prayer is not some kind of formulated little memorized thing you learned as a child. Prayer is a dialogue. It's communication. It's a relationship between a man and his creator. It's a conversation. I mean, God speaks to Moses, and then Moses talks right back to him. Look at verse number 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. I know you by name. Did you hear that? And you have also found grace. You found grace. One translation says, you found favor. Everyone say favor in my sight. Now verse 13. Now therefore I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your way that I may know. That I may know you. And that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found favor or grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Moses, Moses said, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. This is what I want you to take away from this message this morning in the next 14 minutes. This is what I want you to hear this morning. God answers the prayer of the humble, desperate heart. God answers the prayers of the humble, desperate heart. Father, in these next few moments, I thank you. Oh, we sense it. I just sense it even right now, Lord. I sense that you are here. You're speaking. You're already preparing our hearts to receive. You're giving us spiritual ears to hear. I thank you, Lord, that you showed up in the first service and you touched us. And I thank you for those that gave their hearts to you in the first service. And I thank you in the second service for those that responded and said, yes, my heart is desperate for God. And God, for this service, 
those that you've already brought here, those who you know by name. I pray that they'll have spiritual ears to hear. And God, as you use Moses to speak to the people, I pray that you'll use me today to speak to your people. I need you, Lord. I'm desperate for you one more time. One more time, Lord, do what only you can do in your wonderful name. In the wonderful name of Jesus. You may be seated this morning. God hears the prayers. God answers the prayers of the desperate, the desperate, hungry hearts. If you read this story, if you read about the life of Moses, you will find that Moses was frustrated lots of the time. Moses would say stuff like this, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Moses would say stuff like, if one, if one more thing happens, I'm going to, oh, come on. I, I, can't take, I can't take one more thing. I, Moses had those kinds of experiences in his life. Moses found himself many times completely helpless. Completely helpless. Completely frustrated. Have you, have you ever felt frustrated in your life before? Come on. You've been frustrated at a co-worker before. You've been frustrated at a parent before. You've ever been frustrated at a spouse. Oh, don't raise your hand on that one. Come on. Moses knew frustration. Moses was in a desperate place. You see, he knew the plan. He knew the purpose. He, he knew God's goodness. He had just spent 40 days with God. And the Bible says that when Moses comes down from the mountain, he had these two tablets that God had actually taken his finger and written upon Two, two tablets with ten commands, but actually represented 629 laws. And he, he knew that God's plan for his people was good. It was a good land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people just didn't get it. They didn't understand it. As a matter of fact, when the children of Israel, who had, who had been held captives as slaves for 400 years under the hand of the Egyptians... For 400 years, they were, at the end, they were making these pyramids and they were commanded to make bricks without straw. They were beat, they were abused, they were violated in every way. Their women were taken advantage of. In every way, these people had been held captive and they had no freedom, but God had raised up a deliverer, a man who saw another way, a man who saw a better life, a vision of a better life. He knew God. He had encountered God himself. And on their way out, the Bible says that the Egyptians gave them gold. They literally took off their earrings and they gave them gold and they threw stuff at them. And they just wanted to, I mean, whatever, those ten plagues that had come upon the Egyptians, they were ready to get rid of the, the, the Israelis. They were get, ready to get rid of the Jewish people. I'm reading a book right now by a man by the name of Booker T. Washington. He was a slave in the United States of America. He was born into slavery and at the young age, he had a great desire to learn. And, and as he began to study, he realized that there was a better life. And, and although he was born into slavery, his parents were born into slavery, his grandparents and, and all the people in his community were slaves, he knew that there was a better life. And he had a quest for freedom. He had a desire for freedom. And, and after the Civil War, after the abolition, after Lincoln led the armies and the armies of the North defeated the South, Lincoln had, had set the captives free, had literally set the slaves free. I was reading this book the other night, and in this book, Booker T. says this. He says, I never met a slave. I never met a slave who wanted to go back to his old way. I never met a slave who wanted to go back to his master. I never, never met a slave. The amazing thing about this book is that although the things that happened in his life were completely unjust, 
Booker T. He never let animosity, he never let rancor, and he never let bitterness of what others did to him control his life. He took control of his own destiny. And you can read his story. I would encourage you to go online. It's one of the great inspirations. I mean, I'm just being inspired by it. He made decisions to do right and to be a blessing. He said the happiest people on the earth are the people that live their life to make other people happy. And he lived a life to make a, a difference, and even to this generation, even to this generation. There's uni- a university in Alabama that's, that is because of him. It's just an amazing story. Never met a man that wanted to go back to his old ways. I can't say that about the Israelis. <laughs> Matter of fact, they were a bunch of complainers. When Moses disappeared for a few days and they didn't know where Moses was at, the Bible says that they begin to convert and they begin to mess around with drinking and they begin to mess around with sleeping around and they begin to do all these kinds of things. And, and they found another leader by the name of Aaron who would make them a golden calf like the gods of the Egyptians. The Bible says that Aaron makes this golden calf and when Moses confronts him on it, Aaron says, I don't know how it happened. And then people just started giving me gold, and I threw the gold into the fire, and wham, shazam, bam, all of a sudden a cat pops out. I don't know how it happened, God. I was just minding my own business walking down the street, and this girl looked at me, and we looked at each other, and then I don't know how it happened. I just ended up in her bed. I don't know, God. You know, I, I don't know how it happened, God. We were just minding my own business, and I was just, you know, I was when somebody handed me a drink, and I had one, and then I, oh, I had to have another one. It felt so good. And I, I had three. Oh, next thing I know, I was on the floor. I don't know how it happened, God. It ain't my fault. Uh, yeah, I, so, I don't know. We don't know how this golden calf popped out in Jewish tradition. In Jewish tradition, the, the concept of the golden calf represents the nature of sin. The nature of the human heart without God that's prone to wickedness and evil. Paul the Apostle clearly describes the battle that every single person on this planet faces in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7. He talks, he, Paul says, you know, the things that I do, the things that I should not, I, I don't understand it. Oh, wretched man that I am. But he doesn't stop there. You see, Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus came to give you abundant life. You see, when Paul the Apostle finishes, he doesn't say, Oh, you know, I'm stuck in this way of life. I can never change. Nothing could ever be different for me. It's not my fault. Young lady sitting in my office this week saying, You know, it's because of this and because of that. And I can't change. And I tried and it didn't work. And I want you to know that's not what my Bible tells me. That's not the experience of human history. That's not my experience. You see, because I want you to know, Paul finished like this. But thanks be to God who causes us to triumph through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, come on, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Moses is beyond himself. He's frustrated. Moses actually wrote the words of this song. You know, we think John Lennon wrote this song you know, from, the, from the Beatles. No, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't John Lennon, it was, it was Moses who wrote this song. The words of this song, in 1965, the Beatles produced an album called Help. It went to the number one, it was the number one Billboard album. And um, for three straight weeks, this song, the song is actually called Out of Desperation. He wrote this song, out of, and I believe these are the words that Moses wrote. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know, I need somebody. Help. When I was younger, so much younger, younger than today, 
I never needed anybody help in any way. Now those days are gone, and I'm not so self-assured. Now I've changed my mind. I've opened up the doors. Help, I need somebody today. You need somebody. I need somebody. You see, Moses was desperate for God. He couldn't do it. He couldn't change these people. You know, the fact is you'll never change your spouse. You know, people will marry people thinking that they marry this person, they can change them. That's foolish. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I mean, the only person that you can change is yourself. And even that you can't do very well. You need somebody. Help! <laughs> oh, God. See, Moses was desperate for God. He was desperate for God to intervene in his life. And you read this story, you can actually read in verse number 12, the Bible says that Moses said, Oh God, teach me. Teach me, Lord, that I may know you. Teach me, Lord. Teach me about your presence. Teach me about who you are so that I may know you. Teach me, Lord. Teach me about this relationship. Teach me about it, God. This is the prayer that God will answer every time. Every person on this planet, every man, every man, every young person, every woman, every grandparent, every person in this room that gets on their knees, the side of their bed at night and say, God, teach me. Teach me about your presence. Teach me about who you are in my life. God will answer that prayer every single time. Every single time. Moses, out of desperation, teach me who you are so I can lead your people. It's his second prayer. It's his second prayer. He's, he prays, oh God, God, I'm so desperate for your presence. I want to know you. You see, this relationship that we have with God, it's a first name basis. <laughs> He's our father. He's our father. He's our father, our father in heaven, Abba, daddy, and we're his child. Isaiah says that he knows you by name. He knows you by name. He says, Yea, though you walk through the valley, yea, though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And if you go through the water, you will not drown. I know you by name. He knows you today. He knows exactly where you're at. It's a relationship. We don't pray to whom it may concern. We don't pray to some God who's just out there. He's a God who is in here. Right in here. It's a relationship. Moses desired this relationship. He desired to know God. He was desperate for God's presence in his life. You see, today, what are you desperate for? What do you want to know? Who do you want to know? What's important to you? And then verse number 13. This is God, if I find favor. This is what I want. I want you to teach me your ways that I may know you that I can find favor. I can find favor. I can find grace in this time of need. The writer Hebrews says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to find help or mercy in our time of need. Help! I need somebody. Moses is desperate for God's presence. Look at verse number 14. Look at God's response. Then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you. You see, no matter where you go, the psalmist said, if you decide to make your bed in hell. One of the young men in the first service gave his testimony and said, I was laying out in the dirt 
crying out for the mercy of God. God found him there. God found him there. You see, this morning, I want you to know God's presence will go with you. But you've got to be hungry for it. Moses was desperate for the presence of God. And then he says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Every time God, in the Bible, every time the word rest is mentioned, it has to do with a place of peace, a place of victory, a place of, of being solemn in your spirit, being at rest with God. There's no longer this striving or this struggle. I'll give you rest. The second thing I want you to see that, that Moses was desperate for, he was desperate, so desperate for God's presence that he says, I won't take one step. Teach me, Lord, but lead me. Lead me, God. Because I'm not going to take one step unless you go before me. You know how many people make a mistake? So many believers make this mistake. They, they take the step. They do exactly what God says not to do. You know, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So a young woman... She'll meet this guy, and he's like, you know, Prince Charming. He's the most, you know, I can just kind of, I'll bring him to church, and he'll get saved. And it's kind of evangelism daily, and ah, it like never works. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, the fellowship of darkness. And, and so, so many times we enter into a relationship. We enter into a, some kind of an agreement with someone else. And then after we enter into that endeavor, oh, hey, hey, God, by the way, come, will you bless me? Will you favor, will you favor me today? jump out and take a job. So I've seen this happen so many times. People will get saved. God starts working life and all of a sudden they feel like they have to move. I mean, they're just getting planted in a local church and God's blessing is upon them. Their lives are being changed. I've seen it so many times and all of a sudden they feel like they got to move. Go over here. Go over there. See, when God speaks to you, He always speaks to you in stereo. Every time God directs you, the direction of God always comes in the mouth of two or three witnesses. One, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The second thing will happen, you'll be reading your Bible. There'll be a confirmation from the Word of God. You'll get a word that's in agreement. And then people that are around you that know you, they'll know. They'll know that, he, yeah, you know what, that's right. God's calling you to do that. God's speaking you to do that. That's how it works in the body of Christ. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Moses says, God, if your presence doesn't go before me, I'm not going to take one step. Forget about it. I'm not going to go anywhere unless you direct me, unless you go before me. God, I'm desperate for you to lead me. I'm desperate for you to go before me. I need your presence. I need your power. I need you today, Lord. I'm hungry. My heart is hungry and desperate for you. <laughs> There's a great hunger in the earth today for the supernatural. There's a great hunger today in our world for people to see signs and wonders and miracles. You know how I know? This weekend, a movie was released called Harry Potter. And by the millions, people went to see Harry Potter. And, you know, for me, on the positive side is that I recognize that there's a hunger in people's hearts for something spiritual. But for the believers, if you're a Christian, that's not you. <laughs> you see, I'm going to preach a message called King Jesus versus Harry Potter. <laughs> you read from Genesis to Revelation. You read what God says about witchcraft, about sorcery. You read what God says. He calls it detestable. It's an abomination. As a matter of fact, God says people that practice those things, I will cut them off. And in the very last chapter of the book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, God says he will cast those who practice sorcery and magic arts. He'll cast them into the fiery pit along with Satan. 
Now, I don't know. If that's what God says, I'm going to run far away from that as I can get. Because I don't want to go to no fiery pit. Come on. I want to go to a place called heaven where the King of kings and the Lord of lords is, where the presence of God is forever, where there is no more sadness, where there is no more sorrow, where there is, where there is, listen, come on, where there is no more bondages. I didn't write this stuff. I'm just a reporter today. I want you to there's a greater power. It's the power of Almighty God. I mean, little Harry gets a little tingling thing out and tries to twink people. Let me tell you, I want you to know there's a king, and his name is Jesus. And when he went to the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, every little twinkly of Harry, every little demonic power that's been assigned against you, every demon of hell came under his feet. And the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus sets you free. I want you to know today, you don't need another power. The only power you need today is the power of the Holy Ghost. I want you to declare in your spirit, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on. Amen. Oh, I know from firsthand experience, I know, I know demonic is, it's not just cute little games. I know it's literature and all this. That's a bunch of baloney. Those little cantations that she wrote about in there, those are real deals. There are people that practice those things. And the Bible calls them unfruitful works of darkness. And those that practice those things, they're not part of God's kingdom. Serious. I mean, there's a lot of pushback because, you know, we ha all have an opinion about this. And it doesn't really matter to me. I'm just going to tell you what God says. Because I love you. I love you and God loves you. God has a good place for you. God has a land full of milk and honey. A place where his presence dwells. Oh. And the last thing that Moses prayed. He said, God, show me your glory. Show me your goodness. Show me your grace. Show, show me. Show me, God. You know what's amazing? In all three of those prayers, God answered. God, teach me to know you. God, lead me in the way that I'm to live. God, lead me. Lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Oh, God, show me. Show me. Show me. Laying in bed. Laying in bed. Don't even believe if God's really real. I don't even know if God's real. And I said that prayer didn't know that prayer was in the Bible, never heard that prayer before, but the desperation of my heart, the quest of my heart, God, if you're really real, show me, show me yourself in your glory, show me who you are, God always answers that prayer, God always answers the prayer of a hungry, desperate, humble heart. Come to know God. That's how we come into relationship with Him. That's how we invite His presence. The presence of Jesus. It's about the presence of God. God showed up and Moses' life and His presence went before Him and gave Him victory over all of His enemies. Moses was one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. And the thing that he valued was the presence of God. He wanted the presence of God. 
that's what I want you to have today. I want the presence of God. I want to tell you how today to invite the presence of God into your life. Not just in a Sunday morning church service where you feel it. And we can feel it. We can sense the presence of God here this morning. But I want to tell you how you can experience the presence of God every day in your life. Psalm 22, 6 says that God inhabits. God inhabits. He dwells in the praises of his people. You want to know how you can have God in your life? When you don't have to worry about all these other things. It's, for me, it's not, how close I can, it's not how close I can get to the world. It's, it's how much more of the presence of God I can get in my life. There is a hunger for the presence of God in this generation. It's just misguided. I celebrate the fact that people want the supernatural. I just want to expose them to the real thing. See, when you taste the real thing, when you taste the goodness of God, when you taste the presence of Jesus, nothing else satisfies. No drink, no sexual activity, no, no, no smoking, no drinking, no, no nothing will satisfy when you taste and see that the Lord is good. God inhabits the praises of his people. I may know you, Lord, that I may know you, Jesus. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless you, Lord. I will praise you. I will say the name, the name which is above every other name. That name is Jesus. Jesus, I worship you. And when you begin to say that name, when you begin to invite the presence of Jesus into your life, the Bible says that all of your enemies shall scatter. You see, there were three people, and it's in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. It's one of the most remarkable stories. They're lined up right in a row. And all three people say this. All three people had great needs. One was possessed by devils, couldn't control their actions. Uh, another one that was sick in their body and had spent all their money at the doctors. Uh, another one had a child that was terminally ill under the place of death. And the Bible says that all three of them at different times ran to Jesus and they said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. You see, they were desperate for a visitation of God in your life. And I want you to know that God visits the desperate with his presence. God visits the hungry heart. And when I am praying for this church, as we become a church that prays, I, when God's people pray, a church, a, a, a church that's called a house of prayer for the nations, when we become that church. Listen, our young people came back from camp and they said they got next. They got next. They got the next generation. They got the presence. They got the power. They got the supernatural. They're going to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They're going to see blinded eyes open just like they see in the Bible. They're going to see people who are lame in the leg stand up and walk. Let me tell you, those things don't happen unless God's people pray. Unless there's a hunger for a holy habitation of God. And it's only found when God's people begin to give him praise. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to close your eyes. The Holy Spirit is speaking. Show me your glory. In this room right now, there's no one looking. The praise team is coming to the, to the platform right now. And I want every, every believer to start to pray. We, we treaded on some ground. We stepped on some toes. We pressed through the enemy's camp today. We're going to take back what Satan has stolen. We're going to see the captain set free right in this room because the presence of Jesus is here right now. The presence of Jesus is here right now. You're in this room this morning, and you're not sure that you know God. You're not sure that he knows your name. 
You're not sure of that this morning. You're not at, see, I wasn't sure that God even existed. I needed God to show himself to me. I didn't know that God knew my name. And maybe you're here today and you don't know if God knows your name. Can you turn the house lights up just for a second? I got to be able to see here. Turn the house lights on just for a second. Come on. I got to see this morning. I got to know. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You're in this room right now. And you want God to show himself to you. You want God to show himself to you. When I count to three, I want you to raise your, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Right now in this room. Come on. I see that hand. 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 Come on. I see that hand. Come on. Someone else. You're not sure. I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on. Someone else. You're not sure. You want God to show himself to you. Don't leave this place. His presence is here. He showed himself to Moses. He'll show himself to you today. Come on. Let's not leave. Let's, one more. One more. One more hand. One, well, I see that hand. Come on. I see that hand. One more right now. The Holy Spirit. I see that hand right now. Come on. God's going to show himself to you. Before you leave this place, the presence of God is here. The presence of Jesus is here. Hallelujah. 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 You said that prayer right now. You said that prayer right where you're You raised your hand right where you're at. I want you to stand up right in your seat right now. You Right now, you raise your hand. I want you to stand right where you're at. Come on, all across this room. You raise your hand. Come on, stand up. Let's not take another moment. Let's not take another moment. Come on, you ask God. You want You want to know today that he knows your name. Come on, right now, right now, right where you're at. Jesus, say the name. Yes. Come on, there's someone else. Right now, Jesus, 